Live from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. Another addition to my uh, drunky McDrunkerson collection. Lettuce is a fine topping if you have got like nine things. Don't waste one of your three on lettuce. Both of you probably could use a salad. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Thursday home, Cofield and Company. Road spot, Silver Sevens, Hotel and Casino, great hockey spot, 77 cent beers during all of the Vegas Golden Knights games. Big day on the way. Derek Carr sort of goodbye day went down this morning on social media. We'll get into that. He is going to continue playing football. We had a uh, local reporter say that he had reported that <laughs> a while back, so that's breaking news as well that uh, was repeated today. Angel is here. Ari's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Let's do it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. First of all, Adam, haven't spoken to you in a while, at least on the air. Sure. What's going on? Uh, not much. Good. For a second there, I was like, when have I spoken? And I was like, wait, uh, last night. game last you know, night. Last night, it was like <laughs> less, less than 18 hours. I, I forget. I forget. You're an old, you're an old man. And I, I am. Forget things. I, absolutely. But yes, we spoke last night. And, uh, what now did we, we talk about? Not much. We, didn't, we actually didn't discuss a whole lot. No. There was uh, UNLV-related activities today. We'll get into the Run Rebel game in about 30 minutes, the Run and Rebel game in about Why? 30 minutes. I know. It was, uh, it was disappointting, but there's a uh, you know, second half of the season to play, and we have to kind of diagnose what's going on and, and what expectations should be and can be. Uh, this morning, football was back. Big fan of covering the football program as they try to get to the level where, you know, in the case of the Run and Rebels, they're 12-4, and four, and people are pissed off right now. Uh, that would be nice for UNLV football, you know, in a season to be sitting at, I don't know, do the math, right, whatever. Um, you know, six and four. This would be better than that. Um, six and two? Six and six and two. You nailed it, yeah. Just just half it. Uh, six and two, and people would be all pissed off, right? Um, they're not there yet. I don't know if they're going to get there. I think there are some reasons to be really optimistic with Barry Odom and his staff. Today he actually introed some of the staff, the coordinators, and his special teams coach, which I thought was pretty interesting. Right? Oh, Petrino was there? Uh Petrino was not there, but we will talk about Petrino in the 5 o'clock hour because uh, several of us did ask a question about, two of us, I asked a question about Bobby Petrino and his quick exit, so that's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But Odom did about 10, 12 minutes on what's happened so far and what the schedule is, how he's excited. Not the game schedule, but the schedule in the offseason. Sure. Uh, Very excited to get recruiting tomorrow, and he brings up the point here. And I think we told you this about a week ago. We actually did report this, that one of the first things the staff was going to do when they could get out together, because tomorrow's a big day, staffs can get back out and, you know, out and about and visit recruits around the country. Uh, One of the first things they wanted to do is make a big splash locally and cover things at all of the high schools around Las Vegas. Tomorrow will be the first day that we have an opportunity to be on the road recruiting as a staff. And I'm really excited about what they're going to do on the road recruiting. We're going to be in the city of Las Vegas. Every school tomorrow will be hit by one of our staff members. I'm sure excited about that because I think there's really good football here. I think there's tremendous coaches in the city. And I think there are players and and prospects and potential student athletes 
that can help this program take the next step in winning championships. And I think we are going to be able to sell the vision and the belief on how that's going to happen. We're going to do it based on character, on toughness, on hard work, on discipline, and the things that a student athlete wants to achieve as being a college football player, we're going to get done here. It's not an easy task. You, know, you really have to change the narrative with coaches, parents, and then the players. I, think, I don't think the players, the objections, and when I talk about objections to getting local kids or from local kids, would be like, well, you know, the program hasn't won. I want to go somewhere where I'm going to win. Now, addressing the, hey, I want to get out of here, that's a whole different challenge, but it's a history that you have to overcome with parents and local coaches because local coaches could look at it and go, eh, you know what, I'm not sending my kid there because it's not a good experience. It's not a winning experience. I can't say it's not a good experience. It's not a, a winning experience. So, you know, they have some ground to make up for here. Um, it's interesting. Uh, a Brannon tweeted at us on this, hey, the staff is going to get out and recruit locally tomorrow. They're going to hit every high school in town. He said, love the enthusiasm, but the narrative of recruiting local guys is just beating a dead horse. The top talent in the Valley wants to leave Vegas, not live in the same city that they grew up in. Yeah, I don't buy that. I don't either. Uh, so there's some kids that, that are. 100%. There's the, kids who are, and parents who are set. They're like, you know what, brother? Go somewhere else. Get out of town. This is your chance to experience another area. Different people. Go do it. Yeah, some kids are like that. By the way, it's not even just, like, recruits are also just students, right? Like, think about people that you know. It just in, in your neighborhood, somebody in the office. Some of their kids really want to go to UNLV. They, they've always loved it. They've been fans of the program. They like Las Vegas, and they just want to stay here. And some of them say, I want to go anywhere but UNLV. It's in town. I'd rather go somewhere else. I'd rather start my own life. They're just kids. A lot of them are different. I know a couple kids right now that are trying to make their decision for college, and some of them are say, I don't want to go anywhere where it snows. Snow sucks. Some of them say, it's too hot in Vegas. I don't want to go to Vegas. You just don't know. Every kid is different. They all have different priorities, for sure. Uh, so that that is a big part of this. And, look, it's also about other kids. It's about the future. It's about building those relationships with the local programs. Also, let's not forget this. It's about selling tickets. Make kids, make their families, make everyone part of the program. Even if you don't want to come here, maybe your little brother wants to go watch a game and the, the parents will buy tickets to the game. Like, all of that stuff matters. It does. It, maybe it shouldn't, but you don't think it should, but it does. So there's a lot of reasons to be doing this. And there are more than a handful of programs that have been perennial losers who almost had no chance to get three stars and four stars. And this one is kind of city-specific. I'm going to open it up to states. But losing programs over the years like Oregon State, Washington State, Northwestern. I'm talking about all different eras when they were real losers, real perennial losers. Kansas State. And I'll mention my school, Rutgers, right? In state, their name was Mud. You got to win. When you win, if you do the right things with the coaches, with the players, if you work on it for years, you may get almost no dividends for like three or four years. But if you win and you put in the time, then you can turn attitudes and you can actually get three and four star guys from your home area. And I just gave you five schools that have done that, are now doing it, and all five had periods of time where they sucked and their name was crap in their area. You think you think kids that are, you know, in the Detroit, Ann Arbor area are like, ah, I don't want to stay home. Ah, I don't stay home. 
Well, I don't but, want to do that. But that's, but that's different because they've always won. They sure. have a tradition. Right. I, 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 think, I, I wanted to bring up programs that in, at different periods of time they were laughed at. Yeah, but I mean, the coaches were like, "We're not sending our kid to that freaking school." Right, but for kids, and, they, and they've all turned it at some point where they get local guys. Yeah, but if your local program is a winning program, you're going to want to go there. That's that's my point. Like, okay, it, okay, it's yeah, it's yeah. like, that's yeah, that'd be it's a dream. Like you want to you want to turn this program obviously into it's a dream to go to UNLV and play at UNLV because that's that's what's always been successful and that's what I like. That's the goal. But to get there, you do have to you know start start small, build the bridges, and get there. All right, another hometown team back in town where home has been a mixed bag. Got a little better lately. The last result was not good. No. What happened with the Knights and the Kings? I don't know. They sucked. And I think <laughs> I think and I the Knights sucked in that game. It was it was one of the worst performances we've seen from them all season long. Uh the problems that we've seen out of them showed up once again. Uh you know, a little bit of struggle in goal, not enough generating of shots. Just not, no jump, no push. Uh, the second period was a disaster, as uh, it often has been for this team. They just haven't been able to figure out that second period uh, long change. So uh, there's a lot that was not going right uh, in that game. I think a part of it also, and look, I know this this is annoying for a lot of people to hear how much the schedule impacts uh, games, but you see it all the time. Uh, one thing you see consistently after a long road trip, that first game home usually tends to be a struggle. I think in this case it was more... Uh, that they had, it's the middle of a long homestand, and they knew that they had you know five days off in between games, and you kind of look ahead and say, all right, let's get through this game. They got a couple of days off, got a couple of days of uh, recuperation, a couple of days of preparation. Uh, they haven't had that re- that kind of stretch. They put a lot of games. One of the most, uh, they're among the league leaders in games played so far this year. So I think that you know having that break built in behind it was probably not a good thing for the team uh, for that for that for that outcome. But consistently this year, we've seen that they are much, much better on the road. There's no question about that. Uh, plus 20 goal differential on the road, an even goal differential at home uh, for a team that is, you know, basically playing, a, a, you know, 666 hockey. That's probably not not an ideal thing uh, that, you're, that you're winning games, you're having all the success, but you're doing most of it on the road. Haven't been able to lock down that home ice advantage that you have in the past. So uh, a concern for sure, but I think... Part of it can be explained away, at least by the schedule. We had Darren Millard on a couple days ago. We were talking about Logan Thompson getting the nod for the Pacific All-Star team. Are you shocked? Not at this moment, but that he's been that solid? Well, he's been been good. Uh, I think the All-Star nod is more of a... Look around the division. Right, there's not not an elite level goaltender in this division right now, uh, so I think that is a big part of it. But I think he's been okay. I think there's been some you know wavering and a little bit of inconsistency, inconsistency, and some signs of oh boy, uh, how is this going to hold on for an entire season? But I, I mean, I really like Logan. I think he he has quite a bit of talent and ability. Yeah, but there is you know those little things that you say, all right, I don't know if this is going to, I don't know if he was ready to be. You know, and I don't think they wanted him to be necessarily, you know, a fifty-five to sixty-game type of goaltender. Uh, that was kind of the situation he was thrust into. But I don't know if that's if that's going to work over the entire course of a season. I also threw out that it feels like the goaltender situation is better than it's been at least in a couple of years. That maybe the best year. What was the best year? Was it year one? 
Or was it Vesna Trophy year for Flurry? I actually think it was probably year one. Okay. And, yeah, Millard shot me down on that one, simply saying he still doesn't know what they have in goal no. going to the second half of this year, that it's not while and, – and what I was – I mentioned to him, hey, what I'm including is there's no drama, right? There's not fighting between – backbiting between the sure. goaltenders or, you know, players picking sides. We're not looking at social media for nonsense or well, an agent getting involved. But we are. Well, you are. Because that's what you like. What are you looking for? I mean, Logan, Logan Thompson lashed out at, a, at many people, including, it seems, uh, Bruce Cassidy. So I know that he has an issue with some of the media people. I know that he's tweeted about it. I know he got rid of his social media because of it. Who, uh, what's his issue with media people? Well, I don't, know who, I don't know who it was directed at, but Bruce Cassidy took a shot at this goaltender about two weeks ago, and every reporter tweeted the quote. Right. And then... Uh, Thompson went through and liked and retweeted all of those quotes. Hmm. So are you angry at the media or at your coach for saying it? I'm not sure. Uh, but then obviously the, you know, the incident in the locker room uh, triggered you know, him to get rid of his social media completely when he went after a reporter and was mad about something that had been tweeted during a game. And that was, by the way, what we talk about with other people all the time that are just searching their name. It wasn't even tagged. He, ser- he sat in his locker and searched names. Now why would, why would Logan Thompson do this or be like this? Can we use the PSA drug commercial? Learned it from watching you. I learned it from no, watching it, you, Dad. I, Robin I, Leonard looking in from, from afar. I, going, think I don't know was, where I got this from. I think it's more there are people. By the way, me. Like I, I wrote this story two weeks ago, and I talked to him at length both on and off the record about it. And I said, good luck to you. Like I could not get rid of social media. I couldn't do it. And he, he, you know, he was telling me. And I, this, is not, this was not off the record, so I'm not – uh, divulging anything, I kind of wrote, wrote this in the story, but he said it's hard. He said after he said after a good game, you want to go check and see what people are saying, and after a bad game, you want to go check and see what people are saying. It's very very hard to maintain that kind of discipline, but that is something that he I think he needs to do, and I think he really really wants to do because over the course of a long season, you're going to have great games, you're going to have bad ones, and you don't need to be hearing constantly what people are saying about it. All right, I'll, I'll I won't do. I learned from you, Dad, with Leonard. But he could do it in the, the, the area. Like, I learned from you, Derek Carr. <laughs> well, Derek's very sensitive. Uh, Derek had a message today. We'll get into more of the message as uh, the partnership between the Raiders, the relationship between the Raiders and Carr is over. It started with uh, Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. You know what? I can't go any further. We have to address <laughs> that. What does that mean? He, we, he could have. I think he could have said goodbye Kind of in person. Where has he been for the last two-plus weeks? 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7s Hotel and Casino. Can't understate how great his leadership was because there were some dark times. I mean, off the field, the situations that were attached to John Gruden, obviously some things that happened with teammates, so his leadership is something that an NFL locker room is absolutely going to value. And if you're a football team that thinks we got a pretty good talent grouping, one through 53 or one through 52, we just need a quarterback to come in and maybe be an adult, Derek Carr fits that mold. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Derek Carr says goodbye today on social media. Derek Carr says goodbye today on social media. This is the wrong show 
if you want to listen to memories of Derek Carr, like great, great moments. He had a lot of great moments. You know, the Raiders are still relatively new to us. And Carr is still relatively new to us, although we got a pretty good fill of them. And I, I guess we could spend a good amount of time on a lot of the good things he did on the field. Because he has been an upper half of the league quarterback. They haven't won. A lot of that is the organization. We should we could do favorite postseason memory of Derek. I'll say that. Unnecessary shot when the man is What are you talking his- about? I will celebrate whatever whatever your favorite postseason memory was. Uh, pouring out his heart on social media today. Will you let me read some of it or are you gonna cut me off? And I will get to Dan Orlovsky here in a second. <laughs> Go ahead. Because I there was a there's a method to the madness of the vast sound crew at Lotus pulling that one, talking about great leadership and an adult in the room. As so Derek Carr wrote today, Raider Nation, it breaks my heart. I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. We'll keep going, but we'll react to that. We certainly have been on a roller coaster in our nine years together. From the bottom of my heart, I'm so grateful and appreciative of the years of support you gave to my family and me. We had our share of both heartbreaking moments and thrilling game-winning drives, and it always felt like you were there next to me. Car stands are going to love this. There's a lot of car fans out there who have an emotional tie to Derek Carr. It's especially hard to say goodbye because I can honestly say that I gave you everything I had every single day in season and in the off season. It certainly wasn't perfect, but I hope that I was able to leave you with uh, more than a few great memories as Raiders fans. We may read more of that as it moves along. Did you – were you still re- – I had checked out a while ago. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can we start at the beginning? It breaks my heart I didn't get an opportunity to say goodbye in person. Is that the reason that the Raiders are 100% to blame for Derek Carr not being there the last couple of weeks? I say that with tongue like, I, firmly buried in cheek. I don't believe that he was kicked out. I don't either. Could he have said goodbye in person? Do you think that option was well, available at the end of the season? It would have been from the sideline. So, I, I mean, how do you want to break that down? Like, if he's saying, I wish, because he doesn't specifically say, you know, they kicked me out. So I wish I could have said, like, if they would have announced, hey, this is his last start. Or he started the last two games and we're going to decide on his future, he might not be here next year. Is that what he wanted? I don't know. But I, if he wanted to stay around, if he wanted to be at the stadium – if he wanted to be in uniform and you know do a victory lap around the field, he could have. You think that that option would I, have been given? I don't believe anybody told him to stay away. Okay. And maybe he would dispute that, but I I don't believe I believe it was his choice. I mean, I would think this week if he actually if he wanted to say goodbye in person, it might not be a Raiders related event. He could certainly call a press conference anywhere he wanted in well, town, and probably. And I know he's got a, a church sure. speaking engagement coming up, but like I wouldn't do it at that. Like you know, in his, if you're if you're doing a speaking engagement out of church, I don't think you cloud it with a goodbye beforehand with you guys. Like I would just focus on my speaking well, engagement. It's not really a media thing. I mean, he could do it just oh, directly it, it, to the it, fans. No, it's a media thing. You you guys would cover it. Yeah, we no, would cover it at the station. We were told no. You want to write no about videography it. and no availability for the for the church. Sure, I'm saying he could do a separate event. Sure, like on another day. Yeah. But I think he's. Pro- I'm sure he's going to address it multiple times. I'm sure. Oh, you think at the uh, church? Yes. Okay. 
that's what I mean. Interesting. Yeah, people are going to want to hear that, that's what he's going to speak about. He'll probably talk about how God helped him through this time, I'm sure. Like, I want I want us to act like human beings, and, I mean, you can appreciate the, the level of play that Derek Carr provided. He wasn't always the most consistent. Yeah. They didn't always win. But he's been a good quarterback, and for the most part, you know, unless you, like, really deep dive for some of the, the childishness and, you know, petulant nature behind the scenes, he did rep the organization very well, an organization yeah. that sometimes, you know, needed – Representation now the the Orlovsky thing about the adult and leadership that that is going to be one of the stories of the off season and I don't believe that the good organizations in football are unaware of especially with quarterbacks unaware of who they really are like I think they know the whole story bad organizations don't I don't think do their homework right. and can get suckered and like are the Broncos a bad organization. For bringing in Russell Wilson, they probably overpaid. If they were shocked by Russell being a bit narcissistic, then that's – they didn't do their homework on that. Sure. But I, we've said all along, the, the car image of being an adult all the time and a leader all the time is a little bit off. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that that's entirely an accurate portrayal. And we're hearing it mostly from national folks who are either because they're not on the ground here or because they're too lazy to make a call and check up on what they're saying, which the sad thing is for the former players, you guys should be looped in more than we are. You should have great sources. Well, they might be. I mean, they're, they're, Maybe they're only getting the message from. Well, it's also part of the issue that it's, it's not just former players, it's also media, but it's also it's relationships of yeah. who, you know, who are you speaking for? What, you know. What connection do you have? I mean, look, there's one on the air. Who's the brother of the player who's coming to his defense on te- television? Well, I mean, th- so and, we and know the story there. Work, we right? know the story there with David Carr. Sure, but a lot of people work with him. What yeah. are they going to say? You're right. So they take his word, and then a lot of people are friends with him. A lot of people have other connections. So, like, you don't, you don't, you can't always just say, "Well, this person said this, so this is, this is gospel." Like, you, you don't know. You don't know what kind of ties people have and connections and relationships people have or who they're speaking for. So th- those things always convolute a lot of those types of opinions that are out there. Look, to your point about Derek Carr was good, I'll make the argument he was too good. He probably should have been moved on from five years ago, four years ago. Definitely be- too good to move on from. Definitely before this year, which will lay out, they, they waited too long, I think. Yeah. And I, I don't think, think they're so. going to get. They're not going to get anywhere near the hall or any sort of compensation for it. They probably needed to, as uncomfortable as it would have been, they probably needed to rip the scab off. And I'm not calling. It's not a derogatory reference to Derek Carr, but selling high. I mean, for Belichick guys to not see there was a chance to sell high, they missed it. Yeah, uh, and I would. I would. Well. That, that is also assuming that whatever rumors were out there of what they could have gotten were true, which we don't know. Okay, what well, the rumors, and we talked about this a lot, and, and there's a belief that it was Camp Carr that floated the, hey, the guy could fetch two first-round sure. picks. But to go from rumors that were crazy, like two first-round picks, to potentially zero, there's a middle ground that you, you could have played there. 
Yeah, but once they signed the contract, that might not have happened. They should have, they should have done it before the season, which, again, I don't know that many people are saying except for this show. Well, you, de- you definitely said that it should be a rebuild, and yeah. the rebuild was going to start. You, you can rebuild and sign the rest of your core. You can rebuild and freaking trade for Devontae Adams if you want. But Carr was going to be the center of the sure, rebuild that, the, that you were requesting. The argument, though, would be, you know, would they have gotten Devontae Adams without their car? And I think it depends on who the quarterback would have been. And I would have been fine without getting Devontae Adams if it's, if it's a true rebuild. He, no, sure. he's freaking awesome. He's amazing. He's better than I ever thought he was. Yeah, he's incredible. Su- super impressive. Let, let's, let's continue on this because we got guests coming up in the 4 o'clock hour and 5 o'clock to discuss this. We're going to try to hunt down uh, Matt McGloin, who was a Raider, you know, how to fill in in the playoffs when, you know, as long as he stayed healthy after Carr got injured. Um, He's a big admirer of Derek Carr, so we'll talk to him in the 5 o'clock hour. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Yeah, I would trade Justin Fields, and I'm taking nothing away from him. I think he has a chance to be a good, maybe a top 10 quarterback. But if you can get at least a first and a third round pick, which I believe you can because so many teams need a quarterback, I'm going to draft Bryce Young, who I think is going to be a better quarterback than Justin Fields. And when I do that and get at least a first and a third round pick, I'm resetting Bryce Young's rookie contract. And I'm going to be able to get at least four starting caliber players. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company. You know, initially when I saw some of the stories about Justin Fields being moved, I was like, that's kind of stupid. But Mike Tannenbaum presents a decent case there for the Bears making a bold move. We'll get into that in less than, let's say, 12 minutes with Xavier Pope, attorney out of Chicago, social influencer, and a big Chicago sports fan. So, And he's a big Fields fan. We'll get back to Derek Carr. He said a goodbye this morning on social media. Carr's going to be one of the best storylines of the offseason. It, it's going to be fascinating. Fascinating to follow, and of course, who's going to follow him with the Raiders? Uh, we were both at a basketball game last night. There were high expectations for UNLV, the runner Rebels, going into the game. And man, I, I kind of laid it out for people that while San Diego State has dominated UNLV to the tune of 19 of 21, and we always look at San Diego State, Adam, as they're the most consistent program in the conference. They've had two coaches, but Dutcher worked under Fisher. Basically have the same team every year in terms of the way it's built, sometimes a little more offensively talented than other others. Uh, they always have just tons of bigs. They play smart. They know they're going to win with five minutes left if they're in the game. They make big plays on both ends of the floor. And I was trying to build a case yesterday. Leon Rice has Boise pretty close to San Diego State in terms of consistency. He's been there 13 years. They won last night. They pulled away at the end. They jumped out to a big lead. Uh, second half, they went on 14-3 runs coming out of the half, 18-6 to close the game. They wound up winning 84-66. And I think people are still surprised. They're like, Boise, how can they How can they do this? Okay, he's now won six in a row and 11-14 against UNLV. It's not 19-21, but it's, it's in the range. And that game played out basically like we've seen a lot of the recent Boise-UNLV games play out. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't – the best effort. I know uh, the word sleepwalking was used uh, in the post game uh, that Kruger had told his team that they were sleepwalking, and they never really woke up. And there's not 
really an excuse for it. They, you know, already dropped a couple of games. Those are the kind of games you see sometimes when maybe you've won four or five games, like really big games in a row, and now it's like maybe a little bit of a letdown spot. That That's not the case. Like, they need every single one of these games, every single one of these wins, and they had a big opportunity against a really good team uh, to put forth a great effort and get a win, and they weren't able to do that. And I think that's very disappointing. And this swoon has mostly happened with Elijah Parquet down, and, you know, the guy's a four- five-point-per-game guy, but he brings so much more to the floor in terms of what he does defensively and also being another calming influence. And, yeah, I mentioned San Diego State size, Boise size. Boise's not this year, you know, loaded with a you know an elite seven-footer, but what they have are a bunch of thick dudes across the front line who are six-seven. They can switch defensively, and they play tough. And one of the moments early in the game, Elijah Harkless goes, you know, down the right side of the lane, drives in, gets bumped to the floor, he got jacked up. He was never the same after that. He, he was kind of walking upright because he was grabbing his back when he went down, and then he wound up going 5-18, and I admire the guy for playing. But he and uh, Lou Rod really, I think, lost their patience. They finished 8-29, and that was one of the big differences in the game. Uh, you know, uh, an 80% Harkless, and then not spreading the ball, not, be patient, not being patient enough when, when things started going wrong, right, not being patient enough on offense. And it was the first time this year when I've seen them struggle on offense that it affected their defense yeah i think that was pretty clear and, and harkless didn't come back for a while into that game and uh you know there was i think you're right that it was affecting their defense and this is one of the things that i talked about the concern that i had is when you have a team that has that much intensity and that much ability to turn you over defensively there are going to be off nights where you just you can't bring that it's impossible it's physically and mentally impossible to do that uh, over a what thirty four thirty two game whatever you have a season, it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna be possible. Sometimes you're gonna have to overcome that. You'll have to score more to overcome it. And you know, let's not take out the fact that even though a lot of them were open, Boise shot much 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 better than they usually do from outside. And you know, part of that is defensively letting down. Part of it is allowing dribble drives and kickouts. But you know, you do not expect the team to shoot like what I think eighteen percentage points over their season average from three, you have to do something about it, but uh, you don't expect that to happen, and that happened. So it was kind of a, a perfect storm of things going wrong, and those are games that are just not acceptable when you have this much ability and this much of a chance to you know, have a successful season. Get 77-cent bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Michelob Ultra on Golden Knights game days at the Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. And what is my punishment? Here's my punishment. I gotta walk around for however long I live, and I gotta, this is how I'm labeled now. My other punishment is that, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, whether it be media, fighters, friends who had respect for me, might not have respect for me now. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, he is live on Cofield and Company. Dana White on the way back as uh, they get ready, the UFC does for a pay-per-view event, and uh, Dana White says, uh, yeah, that's the real punishment. You know, a 30- or 60-day suspension wouldn't be punishment. Um, He's going to feel bad for a long time, and people might not like him. Uh, Xavier Pope is in. Xavier, I want to flip the script a little bit here. We always exchange, uh, you know, a a prep list with a bunch of stories, and I want to get to Kevin Warren and the Bears because you're a Chicago guy in just a couple minutes, but uh, let's just get your instant reaction because I saw you tweeting about it. What did you think about what Dana White said in terms of not being punished by ESPN or Endeavor and that, hey, he is being punished. Now his reputation has been sullied. You trying to help Ike? <laughs> that's, that's what Dana, Dana White sounds like. It sounds like Ike Turner. 
um, the abuser who feels like he can't, he's immune from punishment, and hurting him hurts everyone else. Uh, and just because, he, is that, does that mean that every professional sports owner can never be punished for any activity whatsoever? Where, where's the limit? Where do, where's the line drawn? Um, and I think that um, clearly he is someone who has to punish himself, won't do it. And so it is incumbent upon those that watch the sport or those that are connected to the sport, women organizations, to be able to put pressure on, say, ESPN or maybe some of the other partners uh, that, that the UFC has to actually put financial pressure that does take money out of Dana White's pocket to truly do punish him. Uh, and to, to say that his absence or uh, he basically says that he's untouchable. You can, I can do whatever I want. I can slap my wife. I can, re- I can, have, I can actually go for a, a second helping looking like. And no one can do anything to me. I'm, I'm completely immune from punishment. I, it is dripping with white privilege and white, white ownership because uh, 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 that's what we see in professional sports. Um, and that if this was an athlete in this sport, they would have been treated vastly different um, from him. And I think his, his, his comments are despicable. Um, and it's kind of spits in the face of anyone who, who supports and, um, who women and also those that uphold uh, values, any, any morals whatsoever. I kind of, I kind of agree uh, with you, but I also kind of agreed with Dana listening to him for a couple of reasons. One of them is, look, if you were to make him go away, who does it really hurt? Because he would still have his ownership and make all of his money without actually having to work. Like that seems like it's not really a punishment to me. I mean, think of, I mean, you can think of uh, Robert Sarver. You could think of uh, the former Clippers owner uh, Thurling. And they walked away with billions more dollars than they walked into the sport. That was called punishment for them. Um, really, we live in a, in, a, in a world in a society that rich guys can make all the mistakes they want. And they can walk away with the, with the bag. So, um, yeah, he does have a point, but it's a sick point. And, and uh, the other one you said, you, how can you punish anyone in any sport? Like, how can they now punish fighters for really anything? Yeah, they can, and they will, and they can do whatever <laughs> they want to do. Sure. Because that's they right. have the money and they have the, the they have the leverage to be able to do so. I mean, and that's that's why organizations like the UFC and need to have some sort of collective bargaining to be able to make sure they do whatever they can to uh, to affect way power and change in those particular sports. But uh, on the, on the standpoint of Dana White, he he openly says, "I'm going to walk around as a white beater. How is that going to really impact you?" Um, when you are exhibiting this bro culture that really is evident of a lot of really disgusting stereotypes. You can hit your woman, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can knock people's heads off, you can say all types of terrible things, and you're going to be praised instead of being, taking any hit for it whatsoever. It is pretty fascinating, the, the, the whole notion that I'm too important to be punished. Uh, big stories out of Chicago around the Bears. Uh, first of all, your reaction to... Kevin Warren moving from the Big Ten as the commissioner to the president of the Bears on a couple of fronts. I mean, it's definitely a change from what the Bears have been, which is a family organization, gives them a fresh voice. And then also, there aren't many people of color running NFL franchises. Yeah, number one is uh, he's tremendously qualified. Uh, a sports attorney started out uh, working for a pretty prominent sports firm uh, out there in Kansas and built his career up from there and worked uh, as an executive with the Vikings. So uh, his resume speaks for itself. Also, he's pretty convenient. He's Big Ten offices right here in Chicago. So he doesn't have to move anywhere in order to take that job. Uh, so 
Um, this is a huge hire in terms of changing maybe the culture. I mean, they brought in Ryan Poles, uh, another African-American. And so uh, it looks like and they brought in, you know, they get an African-American quarterback. Um, this is a completely different change uh, in terms of how the Chicago Bears have done business in the past. And uh, the fans should be excited that they're changing not, not only the face, but how the organization is run entirely. Kevin Warren is tasked with getting some kind of new stadium deal done. Uh, we've talked to you about this before. As we get more information about the stadium plans, the rival stadium plans, what's better for the Chicago area? Arlington Heights or putting you know $2 billion into making Soldier Field bigger and better and more of a multi-purpose facility? What, what's the best thing for Chicago in your mind? It's a beautiful location where the stadium currently sits. Uh, and all of the, the city stadiums are right here in the city. It's just on Chicago. We don't, we're not like other cities where we put stadiums and people drive out in the middle of the suburbs. They're right here. And they're part of the culture of the city. It would be a huge deal. Uh, it would be a mark on any mayor that was in office when it happened. And so there's an embattled mayor, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, right now, who's trying to throw the, everything but the kitchen sink at the Bears, um, who if the Bears announce they're going to leave, she's going to be definitely not going to be reelected into office. And so um, it's a huge deal in terms of how – this, the franchise look at not only inside of the city, but in the politics as well. Haven't the Bears already kind of made their decision? Like, they're gone, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it, just because they, I mean, it, it looks like they could be gone, but um, once the White Sox were threatened to leave the city uh, before, the, the Cubs threatened to leave the city um, before, uh, and now we have the Bears. Every single fran- uh, major franchise has threatened to leave the city and because they know what it means to be in the city of Chicago and they've gotten what they wanted from the city. And I think that's pretty much online. But when we see what, ha- what we saw happen with the White Sox, we saw something completely change the entire neighborhood into a complete different amusement park than it was before. Um, and I could see that potentially happening with the Chicago Bears as well. My God, I was just mapping it. Are we talking – it's like 30 miles, but you know, getting there with a car is like an hour drive uh, if there's traffic? That's- yeah, that's a total pain. Uh, although traffic and gets kind of funky over there at Soldier Field. Who wants? I they have. I have no. They had. A, well, it used to be a horse racing place out there, and that place became pretty much a no man's land as well. Nobody wanted to drive out there to a horse racing arena. It, 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 it's a bad idea. I think it's just an opportunity for the Bears to milk the city of Chicago for all they can take from it. That's it. Xavier Pope is with us here on Cofield and Company. We finally get to see the Odell Beckham airplane video. Uh, what's your take? Did you change yeah. your opinion? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it really shows where our society is. With some of the responses we saw, the discussion from the, the idiots of Rich Barstool, um, thinly veiled racism that they used, but it was clear it was, he was profiled African American who just happened to not be wearing a suit. They probably didn't recognize him, had a hoodie on. Um, they, think, they thought just because he had pants sagging and he had his pants off. Uh, he was clearly profiled on a plane, taking a nap. Those women um, saw him on that plane, other employees, and thought that he didn't belong in their space, and then uh, weaponized the, the passengers against him. Uh, and uh, it was disgusting display. I mean, even the, the, the authorities came on and said, hey, I, we don't see anything wrong, and they kept pushing on it. And so clearly what the objective was to, was to not have him on the plane. Um, so they were just offended by his very existence. It, it's a disgusting Things that our society still lives in a place where racism uh, allows allow people to act like that and get people to get treated like that. But it's something that we see every day. 
Cofield and Company, Silver 7s here on a Thursday. Uh, every Thursday at this time, we talk to our buddy Xavier Pope. He's the host of Suit Up News up on Twitter. Let's close on a couple of important stories uh, beyond what we already discussed. Boy, the WWE, Vince McMahon came back, and then it's time to sell it, right? He's, uh, he's an old guy now. He sold it to the Saudis. So this is really interesting. We've been through this whole experience now, still trying to figure out what live is with the Saudis. What happens to uh, wrestling with the WWE? And what happens with the athletes? Because there are a lot of golfers who are like, nope, I ain't working for the Saudis. There are a lot who are like, yeah, I'll take the money. What do the wrestlers do? The wrestlers will take the money. <laughs> we, we, live, we live in a capitalistic world. They're going to take whatever they can get. We saw even the AEW position get bought out by uh, the cons. Um, so uh, it's just interesting to see wrestling potentially changing hands in such a large way. Um, but they're going to go to the highest bidder. You, you've seen sport, uh, wrestlers move and change uh, to different leagues, quote-unquote, uh, in different leagues form. So I, I, this is just well, they're going to go wherever the money is to continue to, to, to get involved in, their, in wrestling entertainment. That's what you're going to see. Should we judge them differently because these wrestlers were in an organization and then it got purchased by the Saudis? It's a little different than running to the money of the Saudis, right? Uh, I mean, yes, that's absolutely true. Um, but I think that um, they there is it's a free market for them to, to join any other league they want to join, and so um, they still have the opportunity to do whatever they want uh, to 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 mark their futures however they want. And to be frank, I, a lot of sports, and particularly in the terms of wrestling entertainment, plays in a lot of racial and cultural stereotypes. It's a problematic sport to begin with. And I don't necessarily see these guys having enough backbone to stand up and say, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. And then on top of that, people are talking about the size. And I've talked about this on this program before, Steve and Adam, is that um, the United States has a complicated financial relationship with Saudi Arabia. So if the United States itself is going to have these different, these different relationships with another country, why uh, should individuals in their private lives and private business be restricted to doing the same? Very important issue to close on. You want to follow Xavier Pope on Twitter. Uh, he's got strong opinions, lighting people up. Sometimes <laughs> I get in the crosshairs and I get offended, and I want to send a tweet back at, at Xavier and, and yell at him. Uh, you tweeted the other day, some of y'all still got Christmas decorations up. Shake my head. What's the problem? <laughs> What's the problem? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's, it's, it's about that time. Uh, it is. It, it's not. It, you got to put it down at, at Valentine's Day. Uh, when do you stop saying Happy New Year? By the way, is it, are you going to wait for Martin Luther King Day? Um, I, I'm, I'm, are people going to wait till it's spring outside? And there's some people who keep their decorations up year year long, which yeah. I, I find to be uh, criminally insane. But uh, who is to say? It's just as, as soon as the, the, the clock struck January second, or you should have been done with your Christmas decorations. I turned off the last lights when I left home today outside. Uh, the Christmas tree is still up, but it's really just kind of sheer laziness and lack of time. And uh, <laughs> myself and this significant other just hate taking all the ornaments down and putting them in the bin. So we've, we've dragged our feet on that. So there's still a lot of Christmas stuff up and around the house. Sorry, I man. think that's, that's the reason why a lot of people's Christmas stuff is still up. They just don't feel like it. They're too lazy to get this stuff down. Uh, it has been... nothing to do with celebrating anything. Like, oh, I got to... Put the stuff in the box. They're going to take the ornaments off the tree. They're going to drag it to the basement. 
you know, if, if it's a natural tree, they're going to wait till that thing falls apart on right. the ground and get the thistles all over the ground. Uh, and so I think that's what it is. It's more of a product of laziness, not celebration. Xavier, thanks for popping on with us. We'll see you, buddy. Love you guys.